Hey there, Pulsing Black listeners. This is Christine coming to you today with an amazing, amazing episode where we will be highlighting the work and lived experiences of some Black poets. I am so privileged today to be joined by two amazing poets who will share with us what their identity of Blackness has contributed to their journeys and their bodies of work. I want to have them introduce themselves and we'll go one at a time. So Shingi, hey brother. Hey sis, how you doing? Uh, the name is Shingi Mavima. Uh, some call me Dr. Shingi Mavima because I, you know, as of last year. But yeah, that's me born and raised in Zimbabwe, been in the U.S., mainly in the Midwest since 2006 uh, now teaching at the University of Toledo in Ohio and uh, published also for a few different projects that I'll probably talk about a bit later yeah wonderful Dana you up okay so I'm <laughs> Hudson I'm also known as Great Dane um, and so I'm born and raised in Detroit Michigan and but currently residing in Kalamazoo Michigan which demographically is very different in Detroit. And yeah, I'm a graduate of Western Michigan University um, with my bachelor's in organizational communication. And I do a lot of open mic hosting. I'm an open mic fiend. <laughs> and um, I, I was able to self-publish a book a few years ago. But yeah, that's me. That's amazing. So I think what I and other listeners may be thinking about as we hear what you all have already achieved, which is amazing, is that your craft is almost, or if it isn't, a spiritual gift, right? And so how do you express of yourself with your gift, whether it be to write, to uh, perform poetry, to sing, um, centering your Black identity? So Shingi, how has your Black identity contributed to how you spiritually contribute to your work or um, invest or pour into what you then put out? Absolutely. That's a great question. So part of the African essence, if I can describe that, is, is, is rooted in storytelling. So even though when I was growing up, I didn't have too many poets in my family, you know, at least I didn't mm. think so. But just I would listen to how they tell stories. To this day, I listen to how they tell stories, you know, such that my mom can tell me from top to bottom, a movie she watched. And I'll be like, I don't want to watch it. I just want to hear you explain to me what happened. And that's how, that's how dominant that is. Uh, but for me at the time, it was really just part of my, you know, part of my growing up. I always liked to write and, 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 and do these things. Then when I came here and my, 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 as I got older and I was in the U.S., my ideas of blackness started to shift. Um, so at least to become more revealed, come to the surface. And, and, it, and it's, it's been everything, man. It's been, initially, I was just sort of playing around, just, you know, tapping into different uh, patterns. But the more I wrote, the more I started to center it more in, in, in Blackness. I think there's a time when I was sitting at Mapungubwe, in, 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 which is where South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Botswana meet, is this hill, this mm. old, uh, 10th, 10th century kingdom. And I was sitting there and I just broke down in tears and I wrote three or four poems wow. within this one hour, you know, because I just felt like it was such a powerful Pan-African moment. I also hadn't been back to Zimbabwe in like 10 years at the time. So I say all this to say that's just an instance of where my essential Africanness and, 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 uh, and Blackness and the spirit uh, continue to inform how I, how I write indeed. That's awesome. Wow. That's powerful. 
And Dana, how would you describe how spiritually um, your Black identity has contributed to your body of work or even how it is received by your audience? Yeah, that that is a really great question. And listening to you, Shingi, um, it makes me think about um, how important storytelling is in my family as well. Um, and when people meet my family and they experience a story for my family, they understand completely like why I am the way that I am, why I am so expressive. Um, and there's so much passion behind everything because um, the way we tell stories, you might as well have been there. Um, right. <laughs> and I think that that definitely influences um, my writing in that I want you to feel moved um, as though you might as well could have been there. Um, and spiritually, I think there's so, there's so much that I could talk about there. There's so many layers around how spirituality um, has influenced my writing from when I began at seven years old and the religion that I was raised in, which I really mm -hmm. do think um, trained me a lot as a writer, as a reader, um, and also to be able to, um, to write what I'm seeing, to mm -hmm. put words to images. Um, and so, yeah, I, and then growing up and growing out of that religion and going more towards um, my ancestors um, and diving further into African spirituality um, has also allowed me to see that sometimes what I'm saying isn't what I'm saying, um, but it is what needs to be said or Ooh. be heard. And that's beyond me. <laughs> wow. Wow. Speaking of beyond, Shingi, tell our listeners or take us on a little journey about how you as a creative had to leverage what you thought in Zimbabwe was your identity as a Black young man to what it was defined to be when you came to America and how that could have impacted how your creative genius or process then came to life. Indeed, I think that's, that's a brilliant question. So Zimbabwe was a, is, is a former settler colony. And I say that to say, you know, the, you know, not every colony in Africa was, I don't want to give a history lesson because we don't have much time, but it's one of three or four countries in Africa that was where the, the Europeans settled there. And I say this is important because unlike in other parts of Africa, our, our identity as black people was very much elevated because it was just opposed to, to whiteness, which is usually, mm. which is what happens in the U.S. where, you know, we are black here primarily because there is a whiteness that's been established that we are, that is essentially we are up against. So I say that to say, I knew I was some type of blackness, <laughs> black person, you know, when I came to the year. Oh, wow. I remember one of the first conversations I had though, that threw me off was uh, uh, somebody who became a good friend of mine who was African-American had seen me on, around campus. It's like, oh, you know what? I saw you and I just thought you were black. I didn't know you were, you were African. I was like, wow, wow. That, that is that is very black to me. I don't know how you're defining it. So this is how I started to read it, to to start consider some of these definitions. Um, but in any case, I had come initially trained, particularly in poetry, in sort of this old timey British poetry, which I still enjoy to this day. But I think that's something I had to break out of when I came here. Why? What do you mean, break out? Why of did it? you have to break out of the British type of poetry? I, I, like I said, I really enjoy it to this day, but it was very limiting to me in as mm. far as 
how I could tell my stories, you know. So like, wow. I really want to go off rhyme. Uh, sometimes I really want to go and, and shake things up, right? Sometimes I want to <laughs> move around and stuff. Whereas this was very prim and proper. My love is like a red, red rose. That's true. And that's cool. But I'm saying sometimes you want to say, like, I want to give you the world and everything in it or whatever, you know, right. uh, as a form of expression, which uh, African storytelling really allows you to do that. So I felt that as I got older and I experienced different uh, sort of creators, you know, I remember I would binge watch even after I was already like, I'd, I'd been writing a while, but when I got to the US, I would binge watch Deaf Poetry Jam. And I would mm. just study intently how Black Ice is doing this thing and that thing. And, you know, eventually I incorporated some of those things. So it's a nice little uh, combination of different influences, but definitely really situated in this, in this Black diasporic identity, indeed. Wow, that's beautiful. And Dana, I am, <laughs> I am interested to hear how coming from Detroit, which is a community where Blackness is constantly affirmed, to Kalamazoo, how your creativity had to shift as you found your Black identity redefined, or if it's not yours, just seeing people identifying differently who were African-American or of different Black backgrounds. How did that shift happen to you? And what are some prominent experiences that come to mind when you think about it? Well, Kalamazoo, to, to state it plainly, Kalamazoo is the widest place I've ever lived. and there are different kinds of white people here. There are white people who want to be so-called good white people. And so they interact with you differently. They try to affirm your blackness without overstepping. It's a whole thing. Wow. I had to learn to not waver in my blackness in any space. So it didn't matter who else was in the room. I wanted to make sure I was standing on Dana Hudson from the west side of Detroit. And which doesn't always, as a poet, it gives me a little bit of freedom in that way. It gives mm. me that like artistic freedom or license to do that. And so in, in a sense, that's a privilege that comes with my blackness being an artist in this community. And so I would use opportunities <laughs> when I had a microphone or a stage and the attention of a room full of white folks to say the things that need to be said, to say the things that the other black folks don't have a microphone to say and to bring some discomfort while also um, bringing in real stories about real people um, and real experiences that we have every day and that discomfort that, that comes with us every day. And so mm -hmm. I'll put it into my work. I have, I think there's the the main video that's on my website right now, everythingforthegood.com. <laughs> it is a poem that I wrote <clears throat> specifically for that audience because there was there was some protesting going on about a racist statue that was in the main park, Brownson Park here in Kalamazoo. Mm. And um some fiery, bold, brilliant, brave native indigenous and black activists got out there and protested. That statue was gone now. And by the time that, that I performed that poem, the statue was gone. And there were a lot of hurt feelings around that statue. And while I didn't mention it specifically, the poem that I brought to them definitely went into 
how all over the country, it seems like a celebration of slavery, wow. you know, um, and that's hard for us to have to live with. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, Kalamazoo really made me see the difference in what it is to be black, but to experience it every day and not just like, oh, cause I crossed eight mile or I leave the city limits of Detroit. I know I'm going to encounter that kind of energy. Right. But here it's always, it's constant. And so in that constant re-traumatizing and, you know, re-wounding of our, you know, our, our ourselves as people by our environment, how are both of you using and leveraging your identity of Blackness to create proximity to other Black people of different ethnicities in hope of perhaps extending opportunities of healing. Because like I mentioned in a previous episode, it is very difficult to heal from something that constantly re-traumatizes you or while you're in an environment that is constantly damaging to you and yet being expected to heal and be productive at the same time. Shingi, tell our listeners how you have been Number one, acknowledging what your Black identity is in this landscape. Number two, leveraging said identity to create proximity to people of different Black ethnicities and promoting healing. Indeed. I think that's a powerful question, uh, Kristen. I think one of the things that I struggle with, and I love what, what Dana was talking about, this idea of re-traumatizing, because there's, there's a few poems that I wrote early on. In fact, a lot of my early works were coming from a very real place. Mm. I mean, they still are, but at the time it was a very real place, but it was also a very negative maybe, you know, but not, I was telling stories that exist, you know what I'm saying? Mm. So when I, to, when I start a poem and I say, uh, last night I walked with the devil, that's, that's the most popular poem I've ever written, uh, you know, and so forth. Or another one I do about domestic violence and things like this which I thought like I had to do at the time, right? And I still really love them and the stories they tell and the impact they've had. But what I found is those are the poems that people enjoyed hearing a lot to wow. a point where it was like this, this trauma porn sort of thing, right? Wow. Kind of so, how like we like Mary J. Blige because she always sings about pain. Right, right, right. right. It's about pain. <laughs> we can't even let Mary be happy. Right, you're like, oh yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that uh, normal drum. I like, you know, I like, uh, yeah. So, but, and that's fine sometimes, you know, but I also find that a lot of my white audiences love that stuff, you know, which have, which makes me wonder like, okay, why do you, why do you love that so much, you know? So, uh, and, you know, maybe it's just good, but also it's like, ah. Uh, so one of the things that I started to do more recently is because I I perform those less, even though I still perform them because they are, they are my work, they are my stories and they, they are solid. But I also do a lot of very personal stories that are very affirming. Mm. And, and, you know, I've also started to title a lot of my, my poems, even if they're in English, they'll have, uh, they might have like a Shona name. So I'll take you with me to say like, all right, I want you to meet me here. When mm. I say, that's the name of this poem. That means here, take it. I'm giving you something. So, come and meet me here in, a, in this communal space that I'm creating for us. Then I can share the poem in a language we both understand, but I want you to, to know where you're meeting me right now. And I think that's been, a, that's been a critical evolution in my poetry, just being more personal and, uh, and, and affirming myself as a storyteller within this Black tradition and allowing people to meet me there, trauma and all, 
but in a way that doesn't necessarily re-traumatize uh, in a way that I'm just telling you this very ugly story and you can get off from, from hearing me tell you this, this, this traumatic story, you know? So, wow. I really appreciate yeah. even the infusion of your native language in, you know, if it's just the title and telling people what the title means, you're, like you said, inviting them and extending an invitation to, mm. for them to come where you are. Mm. Um, wow. Dana, how have you in your body of work leveraged your identity of blackness and used it to create proximity to people of different black identities in order to promote healing? Mm. So at first I was like trying to figure out like what you were asking me, like, are you asking me if, uh, am I doing anything intentionally to like create better relationship with black folks that have different black identities and i think that i never really considered not that i never really considered the like the the diversity of black identity mm. but I, I suppose as a black american it's like you black like right like like i i love to know the the stories and the the specifics and things like that but i don't think that that's necessarily um <laughs> what you're asking but that's where my mind went at first no, um, it's it's totally valid because I find that in the arts we are less divide the least divided when it comes to the arts. Like when it comes to music, we can be all in a party and have a good time. But when yeah. it's other spaces, there there are now these nuances that divide us. Mm -hmm. And so it's very okay and logical that that may not have occurred to you because perhaps when you perform, especially in Kalamazoo, which has a lot more cultural black diversity than other cities in, in Michigan, uh -huh. that your audience has always been a mixed black crowd, whether it's by, mm -hmm. because there's not a lot going on for us over there, but you know, <laughs> there's more cohesion. So maybe that never occurred to you perhaps. And that's totally valid of your experience. Yeah. And, and speaking of how the, the arts bring us together, I think um, Shingi, really speaks to it with like going personal sharing your personal experiences and so that's i i like to say i do like black shit and then i do um personal emotional per, um stuff about like my mental health and grief and loss and mm -hmm. family discord and things that just on a human level we can relate to and even recently, especially with um, the way everything's been handled with Breonna Taylor, mm. the mother of Breonna Taylor, it really, whenever I mention her name, it just like takes me somewhere for a second. Mm -hmm. I apologize. But it's, it's the emotion that we can connect to, right? Mm. The stories that we can connect to. So usually the personal stuff is where people can um, see me as human. Mm -hmm. see me as someone um, with feelings and outside of the images of trauma that that you could possibly put on the possibilities of death the possibilities of brutality because of the margins that i exist in but to see that sometimes i cry mm -hmm. or i have lost my father and it wasn't by gun violence you know i had a whole life experience with him mm -hmm. And that's what I think why Breonna Taylor comes to mind, because we've forgotten about the humanity of some people. Mm. And so my poetry, especially as of recently, is really 
trying to pull that in. And there's anger attached to that still, um, just like some of my past work. But I really want you to be able to also see a soft. And so my work is for the people sitting off in the margins who have all these intersections like I do um, as a, a Black, non-binary, married, lesbian woman. And I say woman still because I know that that's, that's the experience I'm having still. I'm having my own internal non-binary experience that nobody else really knows about, but this, you see woman on me, um, even though you see lots of masculinity as well. Mm -hmm. So my poetry is specific, is like really for people, any, any people, any person um, out there who relates to these types of stories, who's sitting off in the margins, feeling like they're silenced feeling like no one wants to hear what they have to say. And so I'm like, well, if they're going to give me a microphone. <laughs> mm. They're going to they're going to listen to these words that I have. I'm going to say it as loudly as possible yeah. and say it in as many profound words as possible mm. to hopefully tell a story that moves someone to do something. Mm. Um, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that and for reaching as far deep within you to express those words as eloquently and bravely as you have. We really appreciate you. Um, and so to conclude, why don't we share with our listeners the possibilities that await us if we unify through the arts, through poetry. If you are talking to fellow and budding and aspiring artists who write poetry or people who have been expressing themselves through journals, even, you know, some of us, you know, we are not out there, but we have a mean journal. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how can we use our words? Okay. Because there is power in our words. It's almost biblical. It says, you know, is it life and death is in the tongue. So mm -hmm. we, we know from many perspectives that our words are so powerful. So what would you leave our listeners with by way of sowing possibility in their minds of what is possible for us as a Black people if we unite and if we use our words for change? Shingi? Well, if you think about it, there's always been an assault on Black storytelling. There's always been an assault on that, right? What do I mean by that? So for example, one of the ways in which European supremacy was justified during colonialism and slavery was to say, well, these guys don't have much written here, right? A lot of wow. our societies, there were, there were coastal societies that had, uh, you, know, you know, like the Egyptians and the likes, but for most of us who were internal, uh, it was a very big oral uh, history tradition. So that idea of having a script alone was used to, to, then you look at the way in which hip hop has been treated. You look at, and which is not new by the way, jazz music was treated the same way back in the day. Uh, song music in Cuba was treated the same way as this music of the black people and it's, and it's whatever. Uh, you know, to the point right now when you talk about Oscar so white, hashtag Oscar so white, the idea of, of black storytelling has always been a fundamental battling ground, right? Wow. Where we almost have to justify our space within these things, we within within the zeitgeist. And I think your point about unity, it's almost as if, you know, I never have to justify my storytelling to to Great Dane. You know, I only met it right now. I never have to justify my, my, my storytelling to you. Uh, you know, I've known you for a few weeks. 
So I think if we unite in that way, we can be our purest selves without having to justify why we deserve to be in these spaces. Right. Uh, you know, hip hop doesn't get its validity from what you know the, the you know the larger society here thinks, right? It's it's these are our stories. Jazz doesn't, song music doesn't, Zim Dancer doesn't, Afrobeats doesn't. So, and I think that's where the unity becomes important. Even as we tell our stories, these ideas that we understand our storytelling, right? We find value in it. You've never heard my story before, but intrinsically you find value in it. Mm. If, we, if, we, if we unite uh, in that sense, it will give us that, that platform where we are not always trying to manipulate our stories or, or always try to seek vindication in our storytelling. Uh, I'll say this thing just because the memory popped up uh, today. Mm. I'll, say, I'll finish it, this thing. It, it popped up on social media in which I was, being, uh, I was talking about by my book last year and I was explaining to these uh, under, uh, un, un African undergraduates that when I wrote the story, a large part of what I was trying to tell is, to tell the world is, my story is valid as an African story, even if it is not, feel, if it's, if it is not filled with the trauma that you've gotten to associate with African stories that are being told. So if mm -hmm. I tell you about my day and nothing at all traumatic happened, which trauma happens, but my story is still valid, even if it's a story that doesn't involve trauma like that, you know? A lot of people mm -hmm. are gazing at us like, oh, let's see when the, when, when, when the trauma happens. I'm like, you know what? Wow. Sometimes there's nothing, but I, I never feel like I have to justify that to you. Uh, right. So that's why I say like, if we unite, we can tell the, the myriad of stories we have and, and not necessarily feel that we need to, to, to justify our place here or seek vindication in these other opinions. So, yeah, I'll say wow. that. <laughs> That is, that is so powerful because I never thought, and now that you've said that it's true, that there is this intrinsic expectation of trauma in black, black stories. We, we are not always a hurt people, an injured people. We are strong people. We are resilient people. And those are the stories that a lot of um, the Western world does not want told and exposed is of our strength and our beauty. They know... Oh. I would even go as far, before I hand it over to Dana, I would even go as far as being like, you know, even when you say strength and beauty, those are all, or resilience, those are still positioned in, in the context of trauma, right? We are strong in the face of this. But I, right. also, I also want the chance to tell the story of how silly I am. That's a mm. black I want to tell the story of how, you know, of, of, of love and of, of playing soccer with my friends or... You know, my mom being annoyed with me because I'm coming in dirty. That's as very real as, 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 as a black story as anything, right? So, right. so I'm saying like, I don't always want to justify myself either by my trauma or by my resistance to it, right? Mm. Or even your resistance, because there's a narrative of the strong black woman and let's not even go into that. that that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly mm. what I mean. So I just wanted to clarify that. That is not always just, because if you, uh, if you let... Even if you are talking about resistance to it, you are still letting that trauma guide your narrative, right? right. Because it's still centered on trauma, even if it's resistance to it. And sometimes right. I to do that, but sometimes I don't want to do that. So, right. Indeed. Indeed. Wow. Hmm. Dana, where are you with all of this? I'm not even going to re-say the question because Shingi has re, re, remodeled the whole, remixed the whole question. I don't even know what the question was. But where are you in this present time? <laughs> Okay, so yeah, Shingi was talking. I couldn't help but to think like slam poetry is a lot of you know like pulling from your trauma. And <laughs> but when I think back to 
say the, the last National Poetry Slam in 2018, which I, I we, we performed, we went, <laughs> tour United uh, Slam team coming out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mm. We were able to finish third in group peace finals that year, my first time going, so it was cool. But one of the poems that sticks out to me, I probably couldn't tell you the name, the title of any other poem that I heard that entire NPS. But Art Amuck did a poem called Soft Ass Poem. <laughs> and, but it was performed so hard. <laughs> but the poem was soft as ever, right? And this was one of those rare times, though, where you have to be like really creative and crafty in such a way that like I'm not presenting any trauma, I'm not hurt, I'm not crying right now. And I think that, yes, as Black artists, we have to give ourselves permission to express our joy just as it is without, you know, the underlying of whatever pain or suffering and things like that. And I, I think that, like, Shingy, you're, you blew my mind with <laughs> even going in that direction. <laughs> um, because I think about... And this is just re like related to where I am right now as the person and working on acknowledging my inner child. And as a Black American, many of us grow up, grow up really quickly. Absolutely. Or our childhoods are interrupted in wow. very violent ways. Our development is interrupted in very violent ways. And so there's this reclaiming that of that child self that can be accessed through our poetry in this way, just as, as we've written to perhaps write ourselves into a better mood when we were depressed or um, to write ourselves into maybe even a better reality um, because where we were sitting right then didn't feel good at all. But like, what if we wrote for our child self and it was mm. just Lego and Monopoly and Uno and you know, skin knees, which are fine. You know, it didn't stop any of your fun. It was like more like a battle scar of the day, you know, like <laughs> just that stuff that just makes you smile. Mm -hmm. It makes you feel good and free and innocent even. Wow. Um, I think that that's a beautiful place for myself. I'll speak for myself mm -hmm. to go in my own writing to provide that balance because there is a lot of trauma porn out there mm -hmm. about the Black experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm. I have been so blessed by y'all. I have <laughs> notes that I now feel like, first of all, I need to lay down and take a nap because that was a lot. And then <laughs> even that, that notion of writing for your childhood self or writing from the lens of, you know, I think that's a common exercise um, they use in therapy is if you could write a letter to your younger self, your former self. And as you mentioned, the, the part of you before your innocence was taken from you in whatever way that was, if it was, what would you tell them? And so that in itself is a great exercise to kind of take you back to a place where, like you said, it was Legos and Uno and Monopoly and fun. And if, you know, for Shingi was, you know, playing soccer with his neighborhood friends, um, whatever that looked like, um, and go back there before your identity was weaponized and made to be something that 
we know it's not. Like you said, we don't have to get buy-in from each other to believe our stories, to, to purchase and support our arts and, you know, to fill arenas, to, to enjoy an hour and a half of, of stand-up comedy because we get it, we believe it, we accept it, we see it to have value. So in closing, please tell our listeners how we can plug into your work, how we can support current and future endeavors, and how we can um, learn more about what you are individually doing and pouring into our community. Shingi, what you got going on? Uh, sounds good. Uh, so one of the things I have uh, that I'm try really trying to, to, to grow right now, I have two YouTube channels, one in which I share a lot of my poetry and every now and then some music. Uh, that one is just by name, Shingi Mavima, S-H-I-N-G-I, M-A-V-I-M-A. I'm sure it will be in the notes. Uh, mm -hmm. Then the other one I do is called Pan-African Lectures, in which I've been doing uh, 40 minutes or so to one hour history less, African history lessons. It's called Pan-African Lectures. Uh, you'll see a picture of me on there with a fantastic sweater that I'm wearing. <laughs> Other, other than that, you know, you can email me at shingimavimagmail.com or find me on Facebook. Um, I've got a page on there, Shingimavima as well. So, yeah, I think those awesome. are some. Thank you. Dana? If you would like to support me, I I think subscribing to my YouTube at Great Dane Poetry YouTube channel um, okay. is a great way. And then also I have a Patreon account which is patreon.com slash for the good and everything for the good.com is my website so if you wanted to shoot me a message or maybe schedule or book a book a workshop with me a writing workshop poetry workshop with me you could reach me there um, everything for the good is something I started as a hashtag hmm. so if you want to search hashtag everything for the good um, you'll see a lot of stuff pop up about me from open mics to um, whatever <laughs> poetry about me. So um, my IG and my Facebook are also Great Dane Poetry. So you can link in with me there as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much. I thank you both. I honor you. I have so much respect for what you're doing and for agreeing to come on my podcast show. I hope to have you all back in the future and um, look forward to, you know, seeing how we grow our bridges in our community and extend that relationship building to one another. Thank you to our listeners. This has been another episode of Pulsing Black. And I am your host, Christine. I will see you next time.